Would you open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1? 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 13 to 25. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 25. It says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. I want you to imagine yourself a soldier heading into battle. You hear the explosions, the the gunshots in the distance. There's a red hue that rests over the battlefield. There's bursts of fire scattered throughout. There's great anticipation. The adrenaline kicks in. Maybe some fear and some trepidation. And you're hoping that all the training and preparation you went through has you ready. Because you're going to war. And your life depends on it. Well, you know that the Christian life is described as the fight of faith. That it's described as a spiritual war. And you want to make sure that you're prepared, that you've been trained up and equipped for battle. To get ready to go out there and fight against the spiritual forces in this spiritual war. How do you prepare? How do you equip yourself? Well, maybe those of you familiar with the church and Christianity and the Bible, you might go to a passage of Scripture like Ephesians chapter 6 to put on the whole armor of God. You may be able to withstand, right, in the final day. But I want you to know that that was Paul's preparation for battle. And it's God's Word, it's inspired, it's great for us to learn from. And we did when we went through the book of Ephesians. But 
What I just read to you is Peter's preparation for spiritual war. This is how Peter, the apostle, prepares Christians for war. He tells them, you need to prepare yourself by being equipped, being ready in a few areas of your life. The first area that you need to be ready in is that you need to have hope. You need to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. The second thing you're going to need for this spiritual war is you're going to need holiness. Holiness. He said, you also be holy in all your conduct. Verse 15. He says, you're going to need to fear. Not men, not circumstances, but you're going to need to fear God. Verse 17, conduct yourself with fear. Peter says, you're also going to need love. Talked about love last week. From 1 Corinthians 13, Peter says, love is necessary to prepare your mind, your heart for spiritual warfare. And finally, the fifth thing that Peter says you need is that you're going to need the sword. You're going to need the living and abiding Word of God. That's how Peter prepares us for spiritual war. These are things that we need. Necessities as we live the Christian life. We've been going through a a series we just started last week called The Signs of a Healthy Christian. And we started with a vital sign, the vital sign of love. If you don't have love, then you don't know God. You're not born of Him. Today we're going to talk about the second vital sign. It's the second thing Peter says you need on his list. It's the sign of holiness. Holiness. When you consider preparing for spiritual war, I wonder if you thought about the importance of holiness in your life. How important is holiness to you? I want to point you to a text in Hebrews chapter 12. It's a very simple command, but it really sets the need in front of us. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, strive For the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. How important is holiness? You know that God the Father is holy. We see that in Isaiah 6. We know that God the Son is holy. Hebrews chapter 7. God the Spirit is holy. John 14. Heaven is holy. Psalm 24. And God's people are called saints, which literally means holy ones. Romans 1.7. So how important then is holiness? Is this something you think about daily? Holiness. Is this something that you pray for? That you might grow in holiness as a Christian, as one called out and set apart unto God. Well, I want us to look closely then, hone in on that second vital sign through Peter's uh, epistle here. And we're just going to look at verses 14 to 16. We're going to hone in on holiness and seek to apply this passage like our lives depend on it because they do. Because without holiness, no one will see God. So therefore, we must be holy. So if we're looking at just verses 14 to 16, 
and the subject of holiness, you need to know that the main command is in verse 15. The main command here is in verse 15. It says, you also be holy. That's the command we're going to seek to apply. Now, we need to start then with a definition for holiness. What does it mean to be holy? This is what you might fill in on your outline. Holiness has two aspects. To be holy, two aspects. First, is that you are set apart unto God. As James prayed in his prayer, we are distinct, we are called out, we are set apart as God's people. And that is set apart from the world unto God. That's the first aspect of holiness that you need to know. The second aspect of holiness is the moral aspect. It's to be cleansed from sin. To be made holy is to be purified, to be consecrated, to be, you might be familiar with this word, sanctified. The word sanctified means to be made holy. In fact, sanctification and holiness are practically synonymous. Okay, these two words. In fact, the same Greek word is translated both ways. Theologically, now it's important for us to start here when we talk about holiness and sanctification. Sanctification, that word. It's important to understand the difference between how we were made holy and how we become holy. That is the difference theologically between positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. Almost all of the confusion for Christians today around the subject of being holy is related to this difference, okay? So this is really important, I think, theologically for us to just set the groundwork for the topic of holiness. We need to note the difference between positional or sometimes noted as definitive sanctification and progressive sanctification. How you were made holy and how you are becoming holy. So let's define these and set our minds straight according to God's Word. First, positional sanctification. If you're taking notes, write this down. Positional sanctification is a once-for-all act of God where He sets apart and cleanses the believer of sin through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Once-for-all, past tense as you find it in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, Such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified. Hebrews 10.10 We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Who accomplishes your sanctification? Well, it flows out of the work of Jesus Christ. The root of your sanctification is the work of Christ. The Holy One, in fact who died to sin once for all. Jesus Christ, here's the good news of the Gospel, tune in. Jesus paid the full penalty of your sin. He paid it in full. The holy blood that He spilled at Calvary washes the sinner whole. And when we believe in Jesus, when we have faith in Him and Him alone, the Holy Spirit indwells us and the Holy Spirit unites us with Christ. 
That's talked about in Romans chapter 6. The Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts. And now you, if you're in Christ, you're dead to sin. And you're alive to God. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart. You've been made holy. Not because of what you did, but because of what Christ did. And the Holy Spirit applies that work into our lives and in our heart. You're now dead to sin. You're alive to God. Death is dethroned and the bondage of sin has been broken. You've been made holy. Now this is a, again, once for all act of God. This is something that happens once in your life when you are born again, when you are regenerated by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Past tense. Progressive sanctification is now begun. Progressive sanctification, write this definition now, is a lifelong process. It is the born-again believer's continued growth in holiness from regeneration to glorification. This is sanctification in the present tense. This is ongoing. And this is this kind of sanctification becoming holy that our passage talks about. Now, you need to know that you had nothing to do with your positional sanctification. That was an act of God. God the Father called you, adopted you, set you apart. God the Son accomplished the work of redemption through the cross. And and God the Spirit, the agent of sanctification, applies it to your life. You did nothing. God made you holy. But, with progressive sanctification... You, Christian, engage. You engage. You engage. You participate. Your will is engaged and you walk out your holiness. Philippians chapter 2 describes this kind of, is it the work of God? Is it the work of man? Who's doing what? Philippians 2 tells us. You are working out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Isn't that amazing? The same Spirit who applied the work of Christ to your life, who sanctified you, He doesn't leave you. continues to indwell you. And He continues to sanctify you and to conform you into the image of Christ. And you, Holy One, born of God, the seed of God is in you, and you continue to cleanse yourself of sin and be set apart unto God for His service. 2 Corinthians 7.1 talks about this process. It says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. This is our responsibility. This is a work that we are engaged in. Romans 6.22 says, Now that you've been set free from sin... And have become slaves of God now that you've been sanctified. The fruit you get, what you produce now leads to sanctification, holiness. And the end of that is eternal life. So that means if you believe in Jesus, your current status is growing in holiness. (laughs) That's what you're doing right now. If you are truly born again. And standing between you And eternity, Christian, standing between you and eternity right now is holiness. Sanctification 
That's God's will for your life. The will of God is that you would be sanctified. You would grow in holiness. Now, again, there's a lot of confusion between these two different aspects of sanctification because some say, you know, holiness isn't important in my life because I'm covered in Christ. I've been made holy. I am holy positionally before God. And so I don't need to continue to grow in holiness. The commands of God are not important to me. I can sin as much as I want and still I'm holy because of Christ. That would be wrong. That's confusing positional and progressive sanctification. See, your holiness is expected. You will be holy. It's not that when you've been sanctified that you, not just that you can now walk in obedience, not just that you can be holy because you've been set apart and set free from the bondage of sin. Get this, commit to this, you will be holy. You will. You will continue to grow in holiness. Why? Because of who you are. You've been born again. And the seed of God now indwells you. So you will be holy. Not only can you be holy, but you will. You will continue to grow in that way. You'll continue to cleanse yourself of sin and grow into conformity with the image of Christ. I hope that that would encourage you this morning. And I hope that you would think more about who you are in Christ and that that would produce the fruit of holiness in your life. Stop thinking about what you can and can't do. Start telling yourself, this is who I am and this is who I will be because of God's Word. I am sanctified and I will be more. I will grow in sanctification. I will be holy. This is God's will for your life. 1 Thessalonians 4 says that. God chose us in Christ that we should be holy and walk blamelessly before Him. Don't make any excuses for the sin in your life because you're dead to it. That's what the Scriptures say, Romans chapter 6. So engage. Fulfill this command. Be holy. Take it seriously in your life. Grow in holiness. Now, Peter gives us three reasons why. In this passage, three reasons why you should be holy. Again, it goes back to who you are. And we're going to look at that. And then I want to provide some nuts and bolts, uh, just application of how you can grow in holiness at the end of, the, and at the end of this, uh, this section. So, three reasons why you should be holy. First, you are a child of obedience. This is who you are. You are a child of obedience. Look at the first phrase there in verse 14. As obedient children. Obedience is the positive aspect of holiness. Forsaking sin is the negative. Now, you need to know, the word obedient here is not an adjective as it appears to be in the English. It is a noun. It is a genitive noun. It could be translated as a child of obedience. So Think about the implications of that. It doesn't just describe the child. Obedience is your parent. It's like your mother. It's part of your nature, who you are. You are a child 
of obedience. It's in the genetics. It's part of your makeup. Have you seen a, a video, or maybe in person, uh, of a calf being born? A calf being born from a cow? It's an amazing thing. They just pull that thing out, it plops on the ground, and, and what's one of the first things that that calf does? Stands up. I heard it. It stands up. Now, does the mother perform a demonstration for the calf? Does she prance in front of the calf and show the calf how it is that that calf might stand up and walk? No, no. Just naturally, the calf gets up, stumbles a little bit, and then begins to walk. Christian, listen. Obedience, holiness, is you getting up and walking. That's how natural it is for the ones that are born of God. You are a child of obedience. Obedience... Growing in holiness is just natural. You get up and you walk. It's so natural, in fact, that it's really just the defining marker of our lives. 1 John talks about this. 1 John 2.29 says this, If you know that He's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. How do you know that someone has been born of God? They obey. They practice righteousness. 1 John 3.9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Now John here is talking about the practice of sin. Of course, he's not talking about perfectionism because earlier in the book he says, if you sin, you should confess it. That's also a sign that you've been born of God. And if you confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive you. But the Christian, get this, will not be perfect, but the trajectory of their life will be progress and growth. They will not make a practice of sin. They will not be enslaved to sin because their bondage to sin has been cut. They will grow to become more like Christ. Grow in holiness. Just like the young calf, to go back to that analogy, you might stumble at first. You might fall a few times. But as that calf grows, becomes stronger, It walks, and it walks straight. So it is in the Christian life. You are a child of obedience. So live like it. Be holy. Secondly, you are no longer ignorant. You're no longer ignorant. Look at Vorteen again. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, to conform is to model after something, to imitate someone, to become like it. Now, Christians don't go back to those former passions. They don't go back to the slop of sin. It would be like someone who is freed from slavery and walking right back to their former master and saying, shackle me up again. We don't do that. No, no, no. We're no longer slaves of sin. We don't go back to it. We're not like the dog who returns to the vomit. We don't go back to previous sin habits. We grow out of them. There are several biblical descriptions of a sinner without Christ. They're described as blind, dead, foolish, disobedient, deceived, lost, enslaved, and ignorant. 
ignorant. Agnoia. Agnoia is that Greek word. It's where we get the root for agnostic. Without knowledge. Unknown. Agnostic does, doesn't believe that God can be known. Agnoia. Without knowledge. Unaware is what the Christian is before salvation. We had family friends of ours who lived in a, in a, on a big property in Fallbrook, acres and acres, backed up to some tree line, a tree line there. And they had four boys. And the youngest, probably one to two years old at the time, he brought a, a bucket to the sliding glass door and was so excited to show his mom what he found. And with a big smile, he holds the bucket up. And at the bottom of the bucket, the mother finds a curled up and hissing rattlesnake. He's just holding the bucket with a big smile. He's unaware. He doesn't know, right? Ignorant to the danger and the destruction that this rattlesnake could bring to his life. That's the sinner. The sinner is ignorant. They are unaware of the danger and the future destruction of sin. Some of you can remember that distinctively. You can remember your life given over to that lust, given over to anger, given over to a dark path, and you were just You knew it was wrong, you have a conscience, but you're unaware of the danger and the destruction that it will lead you to. It's a dark path, but but not anymore. Not anymore. You're no longer ignorant. In fact, the Bible describes you as someone who knows. You know. 1 John, the book that we're studying in our growth group, we noted this last week that the word know in the book of 1 John is repeated 40 times. And you know what 1 John's about? Assurance of salvation. How you know that you have eternal life. One of the markers now for you, Christian, is that you know. You can't play the I didn't know card. You know God's seed abides in you. You know the way of righteousness and the way of unrighteousness. You can discern between truth and error. You know. You have been enlightened by the Spirit of God. One of the best passages that describes this transformation is Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 6. Just listen to this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, Hated by others and hating one another. Wow. What a description of the former life. And then you get this little conjunction that is so powerful, this contrast. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. What an amazing transformation. You've been washed and cleansed, and your mind has been renewed. You've been enlightened. You know. You're no longer ignorant. Most importantly... You know Him. You know Christ personally. If the Holy Spirit indwells you, He confirms that reality. If you know Him, you know what Jesus says. You know how Jesus walks. 
And you know what? You don't need an, a master of divinity to, to know. You don't need a doctorate degree. You don't need a PhD in theology to know. The Holy Spirit reveals it in your heart and your life. You know. So get this. You can grow in holiness without going to seminary. You can grow in holiness without knowing every jot and tittle of this book. You can grow in holiness simply by following Jesus, obeying His commands, being led by the Spirit. Anybody and everybody who has been born of God can grow because they know. No longer ignorant. The third reason why you should grow in holiness is that you are called by a holy God. There's a strong contrast you should see here in verse 15. Another one of those buts, but strong contrast. So not conforming to the passions of former ignorance. This is the negative aspect of holiness. Forsaking sin. Now to the positive. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Notice, I want to just spend a second on in all your conduct. Holiness permeates every area of your life. It should anyway. Whether it's your mind, in your words, in your actions, whether it's in private or in public, whether it's in in the home or at work, in sports or at school, whether it's in the things you watch, the things that you read, the things that you listen to, be holy. Holiness should permeate everything. It is not acceptable. You should not be content to allow one area of your life to remain unclean. To allow sin to fester, to build, to corrupt you. Be holy in all your conduct. In every way. Every area of your life. And only you, maybe only you and the Lord know what areas of your life need to be holy. Cut out sin and become more like the God who called you. He's holy. We don't meditate on the holiness of God enough. We don't think about it enough. This is the only attribute of God that is repeated three times for emphasis. He is holy, holy, holy. This is the attribute that takes the rest of His attributes, His perfections, to perfection. His holy is not like an ordinary common... Sorry, His love is not like an ordinary or common love. Like the love of man, it is a holy love. His justice is not like ordinary common justice. It's a holy justice. God's holiness is at the core of His essence. After the Exodus in the Old Testament, when He saves the people of Israel out of Egypt, He tells them this in Exodus 19. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Now therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a 
holy nation. Set apart unto God and cleanse from the pagan idolatry of the cultures all around you. You will be holy. This language is repeated in 1 Peter 2.9. Talking about those in the new covenant, even in the church. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Then God gives, back to the Old Testament, He gives the people of Israel His law which is to set them apart from the other nations, to make them holy. And He expects holiness as He is holy. He makes that expectation very clear. The people need to be cleaned. The priests need to be consecrated. The tabernacle needs to be consecrated. The offerings, the food, even the utensils. Everything has to be clean because He is holy. He will be revered as holy. Yahweh says He... He explains why everything needs to be cleansed, especially in the tabernacle. He says, because I will meet with the people of Israel there, and it shall be sanctified. It shall be holy by my glory. God is serious about holiness. Because in Leviticus as well, we see when Nadab and Abihu offer strange fire on the altar, God smokes them. He burns them on the spot. He says, I will be sanctified. I will be set apart as holy. Before all the people, I will be glorified. God expects holiness. This is not new. In fact, Leviticus 11, 44-45 says this, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I set you apart. You therefore be holy, for I am holy. This line is repeated several times throughout the Torah. We read another example of it. James read another example of it this morning in Leviticus 20. If Moses... Remember, the man who spoke to God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. If Moses, if there was one thing that Moses knew about God, it was this. He's holy and he expects holiness. You read through the law and you know that that is true. Here in the New Testament, we're in 1 Peter again we see that God's expectations have not changed. God expects us, His people, to be holy as He is holy. And I think if there's one thing that's been left to the back burner of Christianity today, it's holiness. The greater evangelical church at large doesn't regard holiness as important. So many aspects of sin and culture have seeped into the church and into the lives of God's people. They are not set apart. Largely, the church looks like the world, engaged in the same kind of sinful activity. That should not be the case. I pray that Summit Bible Church would be holy as God is holy. That we would be set apart, cleansing ourselves of sin, and set apart unto God for His service. I pray that you would see to it personally in your life to be holy, to allow holiness to permeate every area, 
to say no to sin and say yes to God and His Word. And I want to encourage you, if you've been lazy in sanctification, not taking it very seriously, then maybe you ought to go back to the throne room of Isaiah. Maybe you should sit under the preaching of the seraphim who declare God to be holy, holy, holy. And notice, if you remember what Isaiah did when he saw that scene of God's holiness, he immediately fell to the ground and said, God, I am unclean. My lips have an unclean mouth and I lift amongst people with unclean mouths. And then the angel comes down and cleanses his lips with coal. And what's his first response? I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to give my life unto God. You know what our first response should be when we're made holy by God? When we're sanctified, set apart, cleansed of our sin? Here I am, Lord. Send me. I'm ready to be used. I'm ready to to live my life for you in your service. Holiness is essential. Holiness is so important. To continue to grow in holiness will make us only more worthy vessels to be used by God for His service. Paul exhorts Timothy in that. Timothy, make sure that you're holy because the holy ones are the useful vessels that will be used by God for His service. May we be holy, useful vessels for God to accomplish His purposes. Three reasons you should be holy. You're a child of obedience. You're no longer ignorant and you're called by God. Now let's talk about some of the nuts and bolts of holiness. Some practical application. How can you grow in holiness? This week, today, and in the days to come. I have uh, tried to fit a bunch of phrases with the letter F in there to help you memorize them, okay? So the first is fix your eyes on Jesus. Where do I start? How do I become holy? Fix your eyes on the Holy One, Jesus Christ. Romans 8.29 He's the object of our faith. We are conformed into the image of the Son. 1 John 3.3 says, Everyone who hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. That means if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, if you're following in His footsteps, you are making yourself holy. Purifying yourself as He is pure. I want to go back to the calf birth analogy, okay? The calf gets up and the calf starts walking. But Christian, you don't just walk around in life aimlessly. You have a target, don't you? You have a target set before you and it is a person, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12 says He's the author and the finisher of our faith. We run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is our finish line. And so if you want to know where to go in holiness, set the arrow of your compass to Christ. Follow Him. Follow Him in His Word. Which leads me to the second practical application. Feed on God's Word. God's Word is so important for your growth in holiness. It's essential. 1 Peter 2.2 says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word, that by it you may grow up in salvation. You may be sanctified. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now I've heard people say that their, their spouse or their children are the greatest sanctifying agents in their life, right? You hear that kind of said as a joke. 
Man, when I got married, man, that's when I really started the journey on sanctification. Those were the tests and the trials, right? Or, or when I had kids, oh boy, that's when I really learned that, I, that holiness, sanctification was important. I think that's giving them too much credit and not enough credit to God's Word, which I believe God's Word used by the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives is the greatest agent of sanctification. The Holy Spirit, the agent of sanctification, works through the Word, the Spirit of truth, to grow you into holiness. And I've experienced this. I don't know if you have, but nothing cuts me open like the Word of God. Nothing convicts me of sin like the Word of God. There's no guide to life that's been more helpful than the Scriptures. There's no greater wisdom in the writings of men. There's not a more interesting story than the Scriptures. And I haven't even got to their subject yet. Jesus Christ is revealed in the Scriptures. So I, as I read it, I grow in my knowledge of Him and wonder of Him and worship of Him. They bring me closer into communion and fellowship with God. Feed on His Word if you're not already. Meditate on it every day. Read it and be nourished by God's Word. Number three, forsake sin and follow God's commands. Forsake sin and follow God's commands. In short, obey. Obey. Stop telling yourself that I can't. I can't stop sinning. I can't obey God's Word. No, no, no. Not only, yes, you can, you will. Because of who you are, right? You're a child of obedience. Obey God's Word. You were once a slave of sin, but now have become obedient from the heart. You once presented your members as slaves to lawlessness, but now you present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Obey. Say no to sin. Say no to temptation. Cut off sources of temptation that you may be holy. Take it seriously. Turn off the internet if you don't, if that's the reason of compromise. Get rid of the smartphone. Cut off that right hand, that gouge out that right eye. That holiness might be serious in your life. Forsake sin and follow God's commands. Number four, stand firm through life's tests and trials firm first peter 1 7 says the tested genuineness of your faith he's writing to believers that will be persecuted tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of jesus christ james 1 says count it all joy my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life. Malachi talks about the coming judgment of the Lord. It says that Christ will sit as a refiner, and purifier of silver, and he will purify through judgment the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Some of you know this to be true. The times in your life where the trial came, 
the test came has been some of the greatest things that have caused you to become more holy. It's taken away the idols in your life, the sins. And it has purified you as only fire can. You know, nothing purges your life of sin like the refiner's fire. Nothing presses you against the rock of ages like the waves of trial in this life. Remain steadfast through tests and trial, and that will sanctify you. That will grow you in holiness. It will cause you to think more clearly, to be more focused on Christ, to depend on Him and trust Him. Trust in God. Stand firm through life's tests, trials, and fires. Now, this might be where the wife and the kids fit in, okay? The fires, the tests, and the trials. Finally, and it's not in the uh, outline, but I want you to write this down. Fellowship in the church. Fellowship in the church. God created us to be in community. He created us to have fellowship, participation with one another, and that will stimulate us to grow in holiness. Hebrews chapter, chapter 10 says this in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You need to be engaged, involved in fellowship in the local church to grow in holiness because we encourage each other. Sometimes, you know, the pokes hurt. Sometimes, you know, when we rub against each other and, and we're encouraging each other towards holiness, it's a little bit uncomfortable. But the product is growth. The product is holiness. We need each other to grow in holiness. We need to spur each other on in holiness, encourage each other towards good works, not neglecting to gather, but encouraging one another, gathering together, because we need each other in this life of progressive sanctification. So fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. Do that today. Feed on God's Word. Do that today. Forsake sin. Follow God's commands. You can do that today and in the days to come. Stand firm through life's tests and the trials that come. You can do that today. Fellowship with the church. Engage. Participate so that you're known and you know others. And we're going to talk more about the fruit of fellowship next week as the third essential sign of a healthy Christian. They fellowship with one another. So you can look forward to that. Let me close in prayer. God, I humbly ask that you would make us holy as you are holy. I pray that you would Remind us often of your holiness. That we wouldn't quickly walk past the reality that you are holy, holy, holy. And if you are a holy God, and you call to yourself saints, holy ones, God, then we ought to walk in holiness as children of obedience no longer ignorant and called out by You. Help us to be holy. Grow us in holiness by Your Spirit.
Pray that we'd be sensitive to the Spirit, that He would lead us, guide us in holiness, that we would uh, engage in the habits of the means of grace to grow in holiness, that we would remember Christ, that we would feed on the Word, that we would follow uh, Your commands and forsake sin, that we would fellowship with one another, and that we would stand firm through the trials and tests that sanctify us. God, we want to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but we know and trust that it is you that works in us. So we both depend on you and we obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen.